Welcome to another episode of the Wire to Wire podcast. As always, I'm your host Yusuf. For today's episode, I'll be navigating some pretty deep water. So let's see if I can swim in it without drowning myself. Now you may or may not like what I have to say, but I'm going to say the things that need to be said and ask the questions that need to be asked. Now I'm just ready to get the show started. So without further ado, let's just get right to it. So if you're new to this podcast or you're a regular listener, last week I discussed the NBA's return and that Kyrie Irving was trying to lead the charge in getting the NBA season canceled. Well, during that time, former NBA player Kendrick Perkins, he had some pretty choice words for Kyrie Irving. Now, among them included calling him a distraction from the issues that were going on. And he also said that if he was to put his brain inside of a bird, it would fly backwards. Now, Kyrie Irving's current teammate, Kevin Durant, he caught wind of these statements and he called Kendrick Perkins a sellout on Instagram. Now, I don't want to harp too much on who was right or who was wrong, but I want to use this situation as a backdrop to discuss a larger topic. The use of that word sellout. Now, for the record... I don't have a problem with Kendrick Perkins stating his opinion. He has been a bit harsh on Kyrie, especially ever since he wanted to leave the Cleveland Cavaliers back in 2017. But to be fair, Kyrie has also done some questionable things. Now, he brought a lot of drama to the Celtics locker room, and he has a tendency to alienate his teammates. He did this in Cleveland, Boston, and in his first season in Brooklyn, that has been the complaints about him so far. Now, my personal theory about Kyrie Irving is that he's an introvert and he's a pretty intelligent guy. And I've noticed from interviews he's done and statements that he's given that he can be a bit existential at times. And the thing is, when you have these traits and you're not around like-minded people, it's really tough to blend in with everyone else. And you develop a tendency to alienate yourself. But regardless of that, Kendrick Perkins is a commentator, and his job is to give his opinion. Now, you could say that he went a bit personal with his comments, but he didn't do anything to warrant being called a sellout. Now, this brings me to my issue with Kevin Durant using that word sellout. Now, here's what I want to know. Is he calling Kendrick Perkins a sellout because he was a former player and he's quote-unquote going against a brotherhood? Or is he accusing him of selling out his people? Either way, it doesn't warrant being called that. And this is the thing about Kevin Durant that really pisses me off sometimes. First of all, he stays on social media way too much for someone of his stature. But also, he speaks up for his teammates out of turn. And he has a history of later on down the line, throwing those same teammates under the bus. Now watch this. In Oklahoma City, when he played for the Thunder... The media used to always say Westbrook is taking more shots than him and that it's negatively affecting the team. Now, Kevin Durant came out and said, Westbrook is like my brother and we need him to shoot that much in order for us to be successful. And then he went on to say, you people in the media don't know what you're talking about. Well, a few years later, after the 2016 playoffs, he leaves Westbrook high and dry. And then listen to what he says according to Kevin Durant, that him and Westbrook were never that close. And he had a hard time forming a bond with him because Westbrook always seemed to have his own life and was doing his own thing because he had a wife. 
And also, he said that he couldn't win with him playing like that. So he went and shot himself in the foot there. But then he joins the Golden State Warriors, a team that had just won 73 games and beat them in the Western Conference Finals after Kevin Durant's team was up 3-1 on them. But nonetheless, he goes to Golden State. He says he's happy. Everyone in the locker room is close. Him and Stephen Curry are like brothers. Everything's perfect, right? But then, after playing there for three seasons, suddenly he says they weren't as tight in the locker room. And him and Curry didn't have much of a bond because Curry had his own life. He was married and had kids. And he even said their playing style was becoming too predictable. So there he goes, doing it again. So now, he's in Brooklyn. And it's only a matter of time before he runs into these same issues with Kyrie. But Kevin Durant just doesn't get it. This issue had nothing to do with you. So why even open your mouth? It's one thing to defend your teammates. But you have a history of throwing them under the bus after you defend them. So just don't say nothing. You know, Kevin Durant, he's kind of like that ex that always blames the other person for all the problems that they had in the relationship. But let me tell you something. If you're with different people and you're having the exact same problem, after a while, you have to realize you're the problem. And now I want to focus on that word sellout. Now, I don't know if this was Kevin Durant's intention or not, but I'm someone who uses social media fairly regularly. So I know that words like sellout are a buzzword that is guaranteed to wake up the internet revolutionaries and woke Twitter. Now, Kevin Durant clearly spends a lot of time on social media, and it's been proven that this guy has burner accounts. So I'm willing to bet that he knows this too. I believe that he knew what he was doing when he called Kendrick Perkins a sellout. And without fail, Kendrick Perkins began trending on Twitter after he got called that. And woke Twitter and the internet revolutionaries, they started calling him out. And guess what they were calling? That's right, a sellout. Now, I'm going to debunk this whole sellout myth and show you why you shouldn't believe such foolishness when it's being said. So what is really a sellout anyways? We're defining it as someone who abandons a cause or a group for their own personal advancement be a fair definition? I'd say so. So let's stick with that definition. So what cause did Kendrick Perkins abandon? He just gave his opinion on someone's behavior. He has clearly stated that he's in favor of the protesting and he has used his platform both on TV and online, discussing the importance of social reform. So how is that selling out? All he simply did was call out Kyrie Irving on his behavior, and Kevin Durant levied a personal attack against him. Now Kendrick Perkins got emotional on TV, and the guy was almost in tears, but he still professed his love for Kevin Durant, saying that he loved him like a brother. Now Kendrick Perkins is older than I am, but he is now learning what I understood for a few years. When people don't agree with you on something, they will levy personal attacks as a way to avoid having meaningful dialogue on those issues. Now, I always said this, and you can go back and listen to previous episodes on this podcast. I've been on record saying this. Blacks are not a monolithic group. There are different ideologies, and sometimes people have different solutions to some of the same issues. Now, is there a right or wrong answer? 
I don't think so. I just think it all just comes down to perspective. Now, I'm not the kind of person that's going to pick sides. But when it seems that you're presenting a different perspective from the popular opinion, words like sellout get thrown around. And this is why many people use terms like that. It's to wake up woke Twitter and these internet revolutionaries to gang up on you. Stephen A. Smith, he is the host of First Take on ESPN. And he told Kendrick Perkins, welcome to the club. Now, Stephen A. Smith in the past has said when it comes to economics, he's more on the conservative side. But socially, he's more on the liberal side. But somehow, he always gets attacked and is called a sellout. Now, this brings me to my question. Here in North America, specifically Canada and the United States, do we not live in a democracy? So don't people have the freedom to choose whatever party they want to support or whatever ideology they want to support? So why is it when blacks choose something that's against the status quo or goes against popular opinion, they're labeled negatively as a sellout? Now, isn't part of living in a democratic society the freedom to choose? Now, I'm just asking the question, not picking sides here. Now, here's another question that I have. Why do people want celebrities to openly discuss their political views? Now, the media and the public at large pressures them and scrutinizes them to discuss it. Now, do these people really care about their political views or do they just want to know if they're in line with their own personal ideology? But in the end, does it really matter? And I'll give you an example. Let's look at a guy like Kanye. Now, he said he was a Trump supporter and he went and wore the red Make America Great Again hat and everything. And everyone was quick to cancel him and call him a sellout and say he was in the sunken place. But doesn't he live in a democracy? So isn't it his right to support whoever he chooses? So do we want celebrities to voice their opinions at all times? or only when it aligns with our own personal values or society's values. Now, sticking to the topic of Kanye, recently he also donated $2 million to George Floyd's daughter, and he helped push for criminal justice reform at the federal level in the past. So what does that make him? The real question is, why should we even care? He's not an expert on politics. Why do we place such an emphasis on these celebrities' opinions? I don't look to celebrities for political or social nuance, and I really don't think society should either. Now, there's a great book. It's called The Richest Man in Babylon, written by George S. Klassen. Now, this book discusses how to build wealth, but there are some principles that can be applied to other areas as well. Now, he says you should only speak to experts on their areas of expertise. So, if you're a singer, or you're an actor, or you're an athlete, I would love to hear your perspective on those particular fields of endeavor. But I don't care for your political views. Now, don't get me wrong. You have the right to an opinion. As a citizen, you have the right to express that opinion. But you are not an expert in that field, and you should not be treated as such. Now, anyone who listens to this podcast, I'm an avid basketball fan. And for many years, I've heard people say, Michael Jordan is a sellout. Because he doesn't discuss his politics or he doesn't give back to the community. And I got to be honest, I was guilty of, that, of doing that as well. But I looked for information and I found out some pretty interesting things. So I'd like to share those things with you in regards to Michael Jordan. 
Now, recently, we know that Jordan Brand committed $100 million over the next 10 years to solving racial and social justice issues. But let's go a little bit deeper. Jordan Brand also employs more African-American executives than any other Fortune 500 company. Now, what could be better than economically empowering your own people? Also, in the past five years, he donated $30 million to various charities, including the National Museum of African American History and Culture, to hurricane relief efforts, to the Make-A-Wish Foundation, and many Chicago area charities. In 2017, Jordan committed $7 million to Novant Health to open two medical clinics in Charlotte. Now, those clinics are called the Novant Health Michael Jordan Family Medical Clinic. Now, some of you may know this information. For some of you, a lot of this might be new to you. One thing I realize is that Michael just doesn't like to publicize his charitable acts. And another thing that I didn't know that I thought was kind of cool that I would also like to share. When no major film studio would back Spike Lee's movie Malcolm X back in 1991, 1992, he relied on donations. Among his donors was Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson, as well as a bunch of other black celebrities. This includes Oprah, Prince, Janet Jackson, and Tracy Chapman. Now, if you ever watch that movie or you plan on watching that movie in the future, if you look at the end during the credits, you'll see a photo of Jordan and Magic wearing Malcolm X hats. Now, none of this is mainstream because Michael Jordan is a reclusive guy. And it was very clear how, reclu how reclusive he was if you watched The Last Dance. And I believe that he would rather just give without the fanfare. Now, I'm not saying that if someone else is getting attention for doing charitable acts, that that's why they're doing it for it. It's not my place to question anyone's intention. As long as you're giving, that's really all that matters. But I believe that Jordan started publicizing his acts of charity because he was receiving a lot of pressure from these internet revolutionaries and woke Twitter. Again, he's been constantly accused of being a sellout. And like I said earlier, people often say about him and a bunch of other celebrities too, not just him, that they do nothing for the community. What do you want him to do? What do you expect him to do? Do you want Jordan to wake you up at 5 a.m. every morning? Do you want him to come to your house in the evening, take the remote out of your hand, turn off the TV, and tell you to go do something productive, like work on your resume, apply for jobs, or go start a business plan? Should he come with you grocery shopping and make sure that you buy fruits and vegetables? Would you like for him to take you to the gym and make sure that you sign up for a membership? Should he also come with you and give you personal training sessions? What do you expect from the guy? And he got a lot of heat for not backing an African-American candidate, Harvey Gantt, back in the 90s. And after listening to his explanation, I get why he didn't. He didn't know the guy personally, and he didn't want to just throw his name beside a guy that he didn't know. And he believed that he wasn't educated enough on the issues. At least Michael Jordan had the self-awareness to recognize that. Now, me personally, I'd rather someone not know something and acknowledge it than be uninformed and speak on matters that they have no business speaking on. Now, let's just say you're traveling somewhere. Your phone battery died and you have no GPS. You find a gas station. 
you ask somebody, how do I get here? And they tell you, I don't know. Yeah, you might be a little bit annoyed, like, what do you mean you don't know? But at least they're being honest with you. Would you rather go to someone and they tell you, okay, you're going to go here and they give you all these bogus directions and then you end up having a further detour? Which one would piss you off more? Now, I have some questions for those who are so quick to throw around terms like sellout. And I'm going to direct this question towards my people because I feel like we throw our own under the bus with this term. Now, do you call the local drug dealer destroying our, your communities that? What about the ones that commit senseless acts of violence against our own people? How come they're not being called sellouts? How come we don't also express that outrage to them? Here's the truth. Woke Twitter and these internet revolutionaries have become harmful to our community. Their incessant complaining and shaming of people doesn't actually bring about real solutions. It's the reason why there is an uptick of token gestures, believe it or not, because they make things go viral and they make things trend. And what happens is people in positions of power see that and they need to come up with something quick to do to show that they are not what they're being accused of. So they're going to do the first token gesture that comes to mind. It always works. They've become so infatuated with pictures of people kneeling. They are enamored by the fancy ribbon cutting in front of buildings and the handing over of big checks by people in suits. But they don't understand how much issues exist within the institutional frameworks of society itself. And this is partially why there is never any accountability. Because the attention and the anger and the focus goes in the wrong direction. So how can we solve this problem? Now, because I'm such an amazing person and this is a dope podcast, I'm actually going to explain how this problem can be solved. You're welcome in advance. <laughs> now, I'm going to be speaking more from a Canadian perspective, but to my American listeners, maybe some of these principles could apply for you as well. Now, I'll explain to you how things really work in a democracy because there's way more elements to it than just voting. So let's get started. The first thing you want to do is you want to identify an issue that you believe needs to be addressed. Then, once you've identified that issue, you need to find out if it's a federal responsibility, provincial responsibility, or municipal responsibility. Then you need to do some research on this issue. What are the effects of this issue in the short term and in the long term? Find as much relevant information and statistics as possible and try to compile it into a presentation. Once you do that, you can try going door to door in your neighborhood and see if you can get some signatures to show the significance of this issue. So the more voices you can get involved, the better. Now, once all of that is done, you need to find out who your member of parliament or member of provincial parliament or city councillor is. And you contact them through email and you set an appointment. Now, you're probably thinking, Yusuf, they probably get so many emails and calls per day. They're not going to have time to respond to me. I have the solution for that. This is what you're going to put in the subject line. Concerned citizen. And I promise you, they will respond almost right away. In the body of the email, you're going to introduce yourself. You're going to discuss the issue at hand. And you're going to tell them that you want to set up a face-to-face -face meeting. 
you're going to meet with them and you're going to show them the work that you've done. Now that you had this discussion with them, you now have something tangible to hold them accountable to. If they don't resolve or address this issue, you have some leverage. Most elections take place, what, every, every four years usually? Here's your four-year window. This is what I want done. You have four years to deliver this. Now, if they don't deliver it at the end of that term, you can vote for another person or go to some of their political opposition. Tell them, this is the issue that matters to me and my community. This is the plan that we, this is the plan that I've come up with and how it can be addressed. This person who's currently in office, they didn't live up to it. What would you do differently or what would you do to ensure that this problem gets resolved? Now, here's the thing. I know what I'm saying. It might sound a little bit antagonizing or confrontational, but really it's not. Now, here's the thing that people must remember. These politicians are civil servants. You don't work for them. They work for you. So make them earn your support. They have to earn your votes. These politicians have become so entitled into thinking that democracy is a one-way street and that you have to go out there and exercise your right to vote regardless of whether or not they do something for you. Now let me ask you this. When you walk into a store, are you obligated to buy from that store? Absolutely not. And you are not obligated to vote for someone just because you live in a democracy. Your vote is not only your voice, it is also your dollar. It must be represented, respected, and earned. And don't ever forget that. But here's the thing. What I'm suggesting takes work. Many people aren't willing or don't want to do the work. But because people think that they went and they voted, that they did their part. Now, these elected officials don't know who voted and who didn't. Believe me, they don't. But if you're their constituent, their job is to work for you. So put their asses to work. Hold them accountable. Not these celebrities. The change starts with these local politicians who have a hand in drafting and passing policy and laws. Not celebrities. Now, by the way, you might be listening and saying to yourself, Yusuf, it's easy for you to say. You're just talking behind a mic. Now, I can tell you guys, I did this for myself, and I got the results I was looking for. So if there's anyone you should be taking it from, you should be taking this advice from me. No one else on any other podcast or news or media outlet will tell you this information. But I will. Because I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. We'll take a quick break and I'll be right back. I'll be responding to some questions that I received. So I received this question on Instagram from Adiva Monroe. Now I thought this question was pretty interesting and I'd like to share it with you guys. Hey Yusuf, love the podcast. So I have a question for you. The company I currently work for wants to introduce a learning platform to prevent workplace bias and to support the Black Lives Matter movement. 
This sounds like just another typical form of diversity training to me. To be honest, ever since everything happened, the workplace has become exhausting and it feels suffocating. People are treating me differently and I'm finding that they're coming off as more condescending than before. And it's tough. How can I navigate this without going crazy? Hopefully you can answer my question on your podcast. Well, Diva Monroe, I'm about to. So, by everything happening, I'm going to assume that you mean the George Floyd incident and all of the subsequent incidents after that. Now, I think what you're saying makes sense. After reading your question, I'm just wondering to myself, what is your company's endgame? Will they hire more minorities? Or will they just keep expressing their guilt and go back to doing nothing about it? So basically business as usual. Now, if they hired more minorities, specifically blacks, then, you know, the black people in the workplace, they could form a committee and they could provide company-wide training on how they could be more inclusive and respectful. Now, the same way when there are discussions on women in the workplace, it's spearheaded by women, obviously. In terms of what I would advise, I would just suggest having honest dialogue on what direction the company plans on going beyond the training. Now, it's important to keep in mind, don't be confrontational, antagonistic, or show that you're annoyed or exhausted. Just come from the perspective as someone who enjoys being part of the company and is invested in the company's future. Now, in terms of how you're feeling, (laughs) look, I get it. The white guilt and the gesturing are all-time high. They've somehow managed to make it about themselves and to make themselves the victim in all of this and make it about their feelings. Now, to be honest, none of what they're doing is necessary. All they have to do is just change the institutions in place that are harmful. But it is what it is. We just have to keep moving forward. As they say, this too shall pass. I say transparency and honesty, as well as tact and diplomacy, will be your ally in this case. All right, everyone. If you ever have a question or comment that you want me to respond to on this podcast, you could follow me on IG, Yusuf, Y-U-S-U-F, underscore A official. Send me a DM. You can also visit the website, Vault, V-A-U-L-T publications.com you can also send an email through the contact page i check that pretty regularly too as always be sure to listen share subscribe and i appreciate you guys thank you for the support thank you for listening and that's all for this episode i'll catch you guys on the next episode of the wire to wire podcast